everyone. I'm Ashley Bassett. And I'm Catherine Logan. And welcome to another episode of Ask the Sports Docs. So we get a lot of questions from our listeners each week, and they're great questions. So rather than responding individually, we thought it would be nice to do these mini episodes where we highlight some of the best questions that we've got and our responses. So let's get started. Hey there, fellow surgeons. It's Dr. Ashley Bassett. And Dr. Catherine Logan. We're thrilled to share what we think is the next frontier in orthopedics with you. Absolutely. You know, in our sports medicine practice, we're always looking for innovative ways to enhance our patient's recovery journey. That's right. And that's why we're excited to talk about Accelerated Recovery, or XR for short. It's a perioperative recovery supplement that's been a game changer for us. XR is surgeon formulated with clinically researched ingredients at optimal effective doses. It's designed to support wound healing, prevent muscle loss, and speed up return to functional recovery. Totally, Ashley. And that's where XR comes in. At my clinic, we've implemented the XR nutritional optimization recommendations as part of our standard of care for patients, and the results have been really exciting. Absolutely. I recognize that our patient's nutritional status has become an increasingly recognized risk factor for surgery. Malnourished patients face risks like delayed wound healing and infections. Just recently, I had a high-level athlete I operated on who went through a three-week XR recovery program. The feedback was really exciting. He had faster healing, minimal muscle loss, and overall a smoother recovery process. And I had a similar experience. The ease of implementation and the positive impact on patient outcomes have been really motivating to continue to study. And I tried it too. XR is a cranberry lychee drink mix. It's sugar-free and vegan, and it's safe for anyone over 12 years old. So fellow surgeons and healthcare providers, if you're looking to elevate your patient's recovery journey, consider XR. Let's embrace the future of targeted nutritional supplementation together. Visit xrscience.org or xrscience.org to learn more and join us in revolutionizing perioperative care. Okay, so I have a question from Daniel. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He's based in California. And he basically said, hey, sports docs, um, I want to know why you use stem cells or do you use stem cells? So um, it's a great question. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think Ash is going to sort of give a little background overview of some of the episodes Mm -hmm. where we've already talked about this so you can get a little bit of a deeper dive. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a really hot topic in orthopedics and one that we, you know, definitely covered uh, a bit in one of our episodes. So uh, we did an entire episode actually on the clinical application of stem cells in orthopedics with a world-renowned expert in this topic, Dr. Scott Rodeo at HSS. So this is episode 43. It was recorded live at the AOSSM annual meeting last year. and It's packed with a lot of useful information on this topic. So definitely go check it out. So I think probably the biggest takeaway for me from that episode was that delivery matters and indication matters. So I think where perhaps we stray as orthopedic surgeons in the community is thinking PRP or stem cells or any of that kind of treatment is going to just be a magic wand, right? Someone has a partial tear of something, meniscus, you know, or rotator cuff, and we're going to inject stem cells and they're going to fix it, right? We know that it doesn't really work that way. We have to have a good delivery system. We have to have a means to keep it there. We have to have a good rehab program to get them better. So I think for me, my indications to use stem cells are um, the the correct, you know, uh, correct pathology. So I really like them for partial rotator cuff tears. I really like them to mild, moderate arthritis that has um, failed other injections. Um, and, And patients that are really willing to also 
undertake the financial risk associated yeah. with these stem cell injections because it is an out-of-pocket cost. So I'm very upfront with people that this could work, this could not work, and that they need to be comfortable with that. But Catherine, what are your thoughts? You take care of a very active population in Colorado. So what are your thoughts on these stem cells? Yeah, I would say I probably spend more time sort of educating people on why I don't think what they're coming in for is the appropriate indication, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, because I think obviously people are trying to avoid surgery and sometimes something is just like, say, an ACL tear. And I just don't see the utility of PRP in that setting. Um, but, you know, I, I think you, you hit on sort of some of the most important parts, whereas like there's a lot of confusion where, you know, we really need to make sure a couple things are in alignment. So like our indications are really strong, but then we also have a great delivery method. And then, you know, just mm -hmm. where the literature is all over the place is also there's not a lot of consistency of just the preparation and, you know, what size needle was it? You know, how many injections do you do? Do you let them return to activity after? So I think we have to remember all of those things. And then indications, I think we have pretty similar for me in my practice. It's generally lateral epicondylitis. I will use it mm -hmm. in um, where I see sometimes now is like uh, patella tendinopathy or partial patella tendon tears that we don't think are on the surgical side. And then um, osteoarthritis, that's not, you know, severe. So more of a mm -hmm. mild to moderate for the knee, I'm using it there. Those are probably my majors. But what I'm not doing is, you know, telling people, hey, this is going to regenerate your cartilage. Hey, this is going <laughs> to repair your meniscus, you know. Mm -hmm. So oh, I yeah. like, I think there's a lot of, and there's a lot in the market for like even baldness and, you know, like all these mm -hmm. other things. So not that I'm an expert in the literature on male pattern baldness, but <laughs> I don't how that works. So. <laughs> exactly. No, I yeah. think you're, you're absolutely correct. And I feel like, um, Dr. Rodeo commented on that a lot too, that like they analyze some of these preparations and some of them have no stem cells, <laughs> like yeah. no, you know, mesenchymal stem cells, but they call themselves stem cells. I mean, it's like those IV infusions, like those infusion yeah. bars for people that have hangovers. It's like a stem yeah. cell injection. It's like, there's no stem cells in that, yeah. you know, but it's, they can market it like that. They can kind of say whatever they want. It's an unsanctioned product. So I, I completely agree with your comment that we need to be educating people. A lot of times I feel like I'm talking people out of spending the thousand dollars or whatever it's going to be to get that, that injection. But, um, but I totally agree with your, the epicondylitis, the teller tendonitis, and sometimes for meniscus, um, if it's a big tear that I've done a repair in and the tissue, it's like, red white zone and it looks pretty damaged but it's a 16 year old kid and i really wanted to heal in addition to poking some holes in the intercondylar notch i'll send them for a prp just to anything to kind of augment that healing response right yeah. but it drives me nuts when people with meniscus tears that are like flipped like into the gutter and they have pain or like they get a prp injection in the community because that's going to unflip their meniscus and then heal it it's just it's irresponsible in that regard yeah. so i do think we need to be responsible clinicians and how we approach this and what we advise our patients yeah and i we haven't highlighted it before but um dr verma had done a study that came out I think last summer with his fellows that also looked at the variability in how much uh, uh, different practices and different mm -hmm. types of providers charge for the same yeah. thing. So mm -hmm. I will try and take that up and post that with it. But I think that's interesting yeah. as well to just really understand there's not even consistency in how much people are charging for the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And also so, like how many, yeah. not to belabor this, because I know this is supposed to be short answers, but even like what the protocol is, like I'll talk to people and they'll be like, oh, I got a set of five PRP injection. And I was like, why do you, 
why did you get five? You're like, oh, well, they said it was a series. And I'm like, am I, am I missing something? Am I delayed on the literature? And I look and there's nothing on that. Like we do a single shot PRP injection. There's different levels of the PRP. There's angel and regular old PRP as my non-op colleague tells me, but I feel like the number of injections even differs and there's nothing to guide this. And it costs patients a lot of money to go from one to three to five injections. So it's, that's a very interesting study. I'd be very curious to see that. And we'll definitely post it to our um, social media as well too. So you guys can check it out. Awesome. So let's read that next question or yeah, what do you absolutely. So we'll move on to question two. So this is from Dan. He's a physical therapist in Maryland and Delaware, because it's that area of the country where you can be a PT in both of those locations. Um, so he asked, what are your thoughts on when to start full range open kinetic chain leg extension post ACL reconstruction? And I feel like this is a perfect question for you, Catherine, given your PT background. So, so what are your thoughts? So I have to say, I don't actually have any sort of specific, um, oh gosh, this is when you're allowed to do it. You can't do it this many weeks. You have to wait for mm -hmm. that. I just always, because patients will come in a lot and say, hey, my therapist wants to know if you are okay with this, yes. you know, mm -hmm. and, and I just sort of remind them two things. One, like it's not an extremely functional exercise. So whether like, I want to see, like, if you can tolerate it and it feels okay, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But I really want to see you doing things that are much more functional. So, you know, working into squatting, working into lunging, working into single leg squat, like all these sort of things that we do in our daily life, I think are so much more important. And then the other sort of side of it is like some people, it's just a very provocative exercise. Like they just get flared up. They, you know, just get a lot of anterior pain. It just feels like too long of a lever arm for them mm -hmm. and they just don't like it. And it, you know, it seems to, you know, kind of set them back. So yeah. I don't know, like, I don't have a don't do this until this day. But I also I never really totally understood the point. I don't know. Do you think any differently? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think like the biggest, um, the most important thing for me, and especially in the early recovery, or even like the midterm recovery is minimizing strain on the knee uh, and minimizing pain and development of inflammation. Because then there's an effusion, then they lose some motion, then they're walking with an abnormal gait, then that sets them back. And I completely agree. Why do an open kinetic chain quad strengthening when you can do a closed chain on, you know, or even a closed chain under less weight with BFR and do less stress on the knee joint and less pain and less inflammation. So I agree. I, I don't really have, uh, I was trying to think of like a week cutoff. I don't think I really have a specific time point, but I just think that it's, uh, don't do it unless you absolutely have to, unless there's like an exercise where like, yep, it needs to be open kinetic chain. Like yeah. I don't really see the need to. Yeah. Like if they can't do weight bearing because of, you know, concomitant procedure, then, mm -hmm. you know, we have to be creative, but I think BFR has also opened up so many more options that, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have before. So, you know, before BFR was popular in physical therapy, we were, you know, probably relying, you know, I had that like coffee can in my physical therapy thing and, you know, with mm -hmm. the towel around it. And, yeah. you know, I just think we have more options now. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, we've come a long way. <laughs> love to hear, you know, other therapists feedback, but that also reminds mm -hmm. us, um, we did do uh, this two-part episode with Candace Townley-Cox. Uh, she's a physical therapist in Denver who um, works in my clinic some days, but also works for um, a local practice called Evolution. Um, it's episode 34 and 35, and it is, if not the most popular, it's like one of the most popular, um, highest-rated yeah. episodes that we've had. So it's been, I think, really helpful. We've gotten a lot of great feedback, and Candace is all about like dropping like a lot of truth. So she did a, lot, a great job in that episode. Yeah. So good to reflect back to that one too. 
Yeah. Yeah. We really try to highlight the rehab side of things because it's really important. I always joke with patients, you can be a good patient. I can be a good surgeon, but if you're not going to a good PT and doing the rehab, it's as good as doing a poor job on the surgery. Right. So it's like, you know, we traumatize the knee and then the PT save us (laughs) by, by, by getting us through the rehab. So I think it's really important. So definitely check out that episode. It's a great one. Perfect. Um, okay. So we did get one more question. This one is actually coming from a, not one of our patients, but a patient, um, in the community who is seeing another doctor and they want to know how do we decide to repair an ACL rather than to reconstruct it, Re- excuse me, reconstruct it. So Ashley, what do you, what about you? What do you say? Yeah. So this is also really a hot topic. So I would say that, um, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this because I know you do, you've been doing repair for a little bit longer than I have. Um, so I just started doing repair. I do repair um, augmented with the bear implant, which we've referenced here before. If you want to hear more about that um, implant, we did an episode, it was episode 40 with Dr. Sean Anthony. And that was one of the ones we did live at AOSSM um, last year, talking all about like, what is the bear implant indications for use? How do you do it? What are the outcomes? All that stuff. But I do a, a repair with the bare implant um, and I've been doing it for about a year. Um, and so, you know, for me, I'm still very conservative. So for me, it has to be, and I can already hear Sean's ears tingling, it has to be a proximal third ACL with a pretty healthy, sizable stump for me to be able to pass a good amount of suture through and really feel like I get a good hold. Um, and in a patient that, most importantly to me, that um, wants a repair. So I talk to everyone about it. And if there's even hesitation, like I had a patient, I was talking to the family, 15 year old male, and they they were very hesitant. They were like, but all of his, all of his teammates have gotten the reconstruction with this. And I could tell that's not one that I want to say, Hey, let's try this kind of newer technique. So it has to be someone that's really wants to proceed with it, a repairable ACL with a healthy stump. Um, and, and I really would like young or middle-aged active individuals that may be plagued by graft harvest. So people that are going to be kneeling a lot or um, have a history of patellofemoral pain or patellar chondromalacia where I don't want to take a PTB. So those are kind of my indications, but I'm curious to hear what yours are. If you're maybe you're a little bit more aggressive than I, given your experience. Not, I think, you know, when I started, so it's been a little over two years now when I started, I really just did it with patients who came to me asking for it. So I had mm. sort of found, okay, you are trained in this technique. This is what I'm very interested in. And already had done like a little pre-work on it. And we still had that discussion of like, look, this is newer. The data is really strong, but it's newer. And, you know, I think those are the people that are a little bit early adopters and they want to do those sort of things. But I talked even to those people, I talked to them through everything and, um, you know, continued to follow very happy with the results. So it's basically just part of the conversation. Um, but most important is that they have a good size stump so that we can get the suture through, you know, it can't be this like old beat up ACL stump. It's just not going to work well. And, you know, I did start with patients who are very, very active, but not teenagers, um, just Mm -hmm. because those are high risk people anyway, no matter what we do. And over time, like, I think, you know, my age sort of just dropped as far as like people as comfortable doing it with, but I think tissue quality is really important. And then the other indication that I um, have done it, and I think has just been people have been really happy is when they have a partial ACL tear. So they sort of are saying, Hey, I'm not, I don't know. It just seems like a lot to go through a whole reconstruction when I have like 50% of my tissue in there. And I think that's a really good option for those people as well. But yeah, I I think, you know, I'm still talking, I'm never going to be the extreme of I only do a bare repair or I only do ACL reconstruction. I think it's just like anything talking to them about quad versus BTB versus hamstring. Um, It's just, it's one more tool. 
Yeah. yeah. I completely agree. Now, I was going to ask you, just yeah. curiosity's sake, do you change up your technique for a partial versus if it's a complete tear? I've heard some people yeah. do, no, okay, because I've heard some people doing like that anchor and to bring it up, but I just feel like it's like, it just makes yeah. so much sense doing it with the button and then the internal brace is already incorporated yeah. and all of that stuff. So you do the standard way Same every time. Stuff. Yeah. Same yeah. Stuff. Absolutely. Yay. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Ask the Sports Docs. We also want to take a moment to thank all of you, our listeners, for your support. We've been doing this podcast since early 2021, which is crazy when you think about it. It's about to be 2024. It's going to be three years. And we're really excited to be watching it grow tremendously since that time. So please keep sending us your questions, comments, ideas. We really love hearing from you. If there's a topic you really are just dying to hear about or a guest you think would be great, reach out to us. We always love hearing about that. So again, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and now on YouTube to stay up to date on all these things sports medicine. You can also reach us by email at thesportsdocspod at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at thesportsdocspod and Twitter at thesportsdocpod. We really love your feedback. Until next time, see ya. Bye.